Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe this message will encourage you, it will inspire you, and it'll help you live the supernatural lifestyle of faith. We want you to live this supernatural lifestyle of faith, not have supernatural moments, but have it as a lifestyle. So we put all of this content out for you to receive so you can grow and live the life that Jesus made available for you. To find more information about our ministry and our resources, you can visit us at FCCGA.com or you can download our Faith Plus app. Our Faith Plus app has thousands of hours of faith building content and it's available in your app store right now. Open your heart. God's going to share something special to you through this message. Psalm 27, verse 13. Because I would have lost heart or I would have fainted unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And so we've seen looking at this passage and looking at Galatians chapter 6, how the key to not fainting, the key to not quitting, the key to not giving up is believing you'll see God's goodness in your everyday life. Not just believing you'll see God's goodness in heaven. A lot of Christians believe that they can see God's goodness in heaven. But believing you're going to see God's goodness in heaven does not strengthen you on this earth. Believing you'll see God's goodness on this earth causes you to be strengthened and enables you to go further and causes you not to quit. Now, we define this word goodness from the Hebrew. This word goodness is defined as prosperity, good things, property, supply, provision, good in the widest sense of the word, and good to the farthest extreme. And we also define this word wait, because some people say, I'm waiting, and they think waiting means doing nothing. We said this word wait in the Hebrew means to look for eagerly or to look for with expectation. And so the thing is, if you're waiting on God, you're not just sitting down doing nothing. You are looking for God to show up in your life with great expectation. You wake up every day saying, this is going to be a good day. This is a day for miracles. This is the day where I'm going to encounter and experience the glory of God. That's what it means to wait on him. And wait on him doesn't mean you do nothing. Wait on him means you're doing whatever he told you to do, and you're still living in expectation. Waiting on God is more than an action. It is a mindset. And it's how your faith is active. And when you wait and you believe you're going to see God's goodness in your life, you'll be strengthened and you'll be able to go forward. Say forward. Let's go to Acts 10.38. Acts 10.38. And as you turn there, I'm going to read to you 1 John 3, verse 8. It says, The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Now Jesus came, it says here, to destroy the works of the devil. But when I looked at that word destroy, it's a very interesting meaning, because when we think about destroy, we think about obliterate, right? But that word destroy means to loosen. That word destroy there means to loosen. Jesus came to loose all the works of the devil, which means if it's loose, you can shake it off. There's nothing Satan can catch you with that you can't shake off. There's nothing he can bind you with that you can't get free from. Too many of you are carrying some things that you just need to find, follow the advice of Taylor Swift to shake it off. Satan's been putting too much on you. You just got to shake it off. Say, shake it off. Come on, say it out loud. Put it in the chat. Say, shake it off. Jesus came to loose you from what Satan bound you with. And so anything that tells you you are stuck this way is a lie. Anything that says because of your gender, because of your age, because of your race, because of your background, because of your past, you'll never get out of this situation is a lie. Anything that tells you you can't overcome this is a lie. Anybody says, well, you can't do this and you can't beat this because your daddy, your granddaddy, your great-grandma did this, you won't be able to is a lie. You have to be careful what you listen to that limits you. Especially if it limits you to bondage. Jesus came to loose you. And so if you feel change is something today, I have good news for you. The Son of God came to set you free. Jesus proclaimed in Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. And he goes through the list. He says, he has anointed me to set the captives free. 
We said that word anointing means to remove burdens, to destroy yokes. That's why Jesus came. He doesn't want you just to be free when you get to heaven. He wants you free on this earth. For he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Acts 10.38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. So what did Jesus use the anointing to do? To do good and to heal. And so when we look at his ministry, the things outside of healing, it's summed up here. Peter sums it up in this message of Jesus doing good. So when he fed the 5,000 and then he fed the 4,000, he was using the anointing to do good. When he paid Peter's taxes by the coin in the fish's mouth, he was using the anointing to do good. See, what's interesting about that phrase, to do good, it means to be a philanthropist. He used the anointing to do good and meet people's needs. He didn't stop back then. He's still doing it today. For he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is what the anointing wants to do in your life today. So go with me to Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And we're going to walk to Palm Sunday and beyond. And so at this point, Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. His face is set to go to Jerusalem. That is his main thing, to get to Jerusalem. And when you see Mark chapter 10, verse 46, it says, Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho, with his disciples, and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Now, when we read this, we think, okay, cool, this dude's name is Bartimaeus, his dad's name was Timaeus, he's begging, and we skip past it. But one of the definitions of the name Bartimaeus means son of privilege. And remember, in this culture, they believed what they called you was important, even prophetic. And so you have to think that if he was named son of privilege, they actually believed he would be privileged. And the fact that his, his father's name is Timaeus, this lets you know there's a generational thing. And so it's almost saying two times, Bar Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Bartimaeus, born for privilege. Yet we're introduced to a man who was born for privilege, but where was he? Begging. And he was blind. And so let's just go with it. Let's say he started out in a position of privilege. What happened to him to get him to a place, not where he can just not see, but now he has nothing, and the only way he can survive is by begging? How far has he fallen? How did he get to this position? And some of you might be able to relate. He says, you know, I was here, and now I ain't there no more. I'm down here. I might not be begging by the roadside, but I'm not where I used to be, or get this, I'm not where I should be. Although Jesus came to loose me, there's some things hanging on to me. And when you look at it, it's the same things that held on to the family that came before you. You know you're called to be free, but your life doesn't look free. You know God has sent Jesus to deliver you, but you got some things hanging on to you. You might relate to Bartimaeus. And when he heard, like we saw in the video, that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, notice he didn't say, Jesus, help me. He said, Jesus, son of David. Son of David is a messianic term. It's a covenant term. And so when he's calling son of David, he's invoking his covenant. When he's calling son of David, he's invoking the anointing. He believes he is the Messiah. He is Christ. And remember, he said the anointing means it removes burdens and destroys yokes. So he's calling out for that anointing. But notice how he requests for that anointing. He says, have mercy 
on me. Mercy. She asked for mercy. Say mercy. Come on, say it out loud and put it in the chat again. Say mercy. Mercy. This word mercy, when you look at the Hebrew and the Greek, yes, it means have compassion on me. But also, it means covenant love. It's the love that motivates you to fulfill the duties of a covenant. But it's also defined when we know the word mercy today, where you don't get what you deserve. This word implies all those things. And so he's asking for the manifestation of his covenant. He's asking for the compassion of the Lord. And maybe just maybe he's asking, I need you to get me out of the situation I created for myself. Because, you know, sometimes we like to blame others for our situations. But there's some situations we created for ourselves. And we can blame everybody. You can blame your mama, your daddy, your cousins, big mama, Paco, Pookie, Ray Ray, the government, not the government, the government, the man, that country, this country. But there's some situations you got yourself in. And to get out of that pit, you need mercy. And Bartimaeus is calling out for mercy. And notice what happens as he cries for mercy. Then many warned him to be quiet. So you know they weren't saying, shh. It's a crowd. Dude, shut up. Bruh, enough. He don't got time for you? Bruh, stop, shut up. But the louder they said shut up, the louder he cried. See, when you release your faith, you have to understand there will be naysayers. There will be discouragement. There will be countering situations. There will be a lot of things yelling at you saying your faith in God won't work. This situation is too messed up. You're in too deep. There's nothing that can get you out. There will be the lies of the enemy that get louder and louder and louder. But if the enemy gets loud, you need to get loud. If the enemy starts talking, you need to talk back. He cried out the more. Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me. And then Jesus stopped in his tracks. And he commanded for him to be called. And then, of course, because, you know, people are people. Be of good cheer. He's calling for you. I knew he was going to call you. I knew you were going to make it. I knew God had good plans for your life. And so he comes to Jesus, but notice something he did as he was coming to Jesus. Minister David, can you help me? We got that cool jacket on. Yes. Verse 50. Just epic in your jacket. Verse 50, it says, and throwing aside his garment. He arose and came to Jesus. So can you throw it aside or is it on too tight? I don't want to drop the ground. I'll catch it for you. So he threw aside his garment. And the thing is, thank you. Yeah. He threw aside the garment. And the thing is, we think, oh, cool, there's just some random moment, just like in that example, he threw aside his garment, it's over. But that's not what it meant to him. And it's not what it meant to the people at that time. See, that garment identified him as an official beggar. It identified that he had the permission from the area to beg. It identified his limitations. It identified his circumstance. It identified his situation. It identified his position in life. But when Jesus called for him, he took off his limitation. He took off what people said he would always be. He took it off and threw it away because he believed that when he reached Jesus, everything was going to change. See, part of faith is, yes, calling out for mercy, but part of faith is taking off your limitation. 
So now he's taking off what bound him. He took off what labeled him. He took off what limited him. And he stands before Jesus, and Jesus says, what do you want? Because not everybody wants to be healed. Some people want to check. So Jesus asked him, what do you want? He says, that I might receive my sight. Notice what Jesus said to him. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. That faith that was released by what he said. That faith that was released when he refused to give up. That faith that was released when he threw away his garment. Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you whole. So now, whatever Bartimaeus lost all his life, whatever he missed out on being in this position, Jesus says, it's back to you because of your faith. Now go with me to John 12, John 11 first, because now Bartimaeus is following Jesus. You would too. Jesus heading somewhere. Well, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And this is what he's doing. Jesus is fo he's following Jesus down the road. Now go to John chapter 11. Because now he goes from Jericho to a city called Bethany. And Bethany is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And in Bethany is some, a house that has some good friends of Jesus. It's his friend Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha. And we hear about them in the Gospels. And so they live in Bethany. And so as they head to Bethany, Bartimaeus is following behind. You know he's talking up a storm. All the disciples are there. The whole crew is there. And as Jesus is on his way to Bethany, he stops somewhere else doing whatever the Father has instructed him to do, and he gets news that his friend Lazarus is sick. And then it says Jesus waited two more days. And then news gets to Jesus that he had died. Now, at this time, there were people who wanted to kill Jesus in the area around Jerusalem. And so Jesus tells his disciples, these faith-filled apostles, we need to go to Lazarus. He's sleeping. I must go wake him up. And they said, well, if he's sleeping, he's doing better then. And she's like, y'all don't get it. He's dead. I'm going to raise him up. And they reply, but people over there want to kill you. And Jesus says, I'm going. And you can read it in John chapter 11. They said, well, we might as well go die with him. There is no faith there whatsoever. So he reaches the area. And all of us know the story. He talks to Mary. And Mary says, and Martha says more. Let's look at verse 21. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. That sounds like faith. Anybody say that sounds like faith? Say that sounds like faith. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so she espouses, this is good theology. She believes that when it's all said and done, when everybody is raised up, he'll be raised up too. Speaking specifically about the resurrection of the righteous. And so she's looking toward a day, but she missed that she should be looking toward a person. Because Jesus said, I and the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. You are the anointed one, the son of God who is coming to the world. And then she called for Mary saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. Now Mary rose up quickly and she runs to Jesus. They think she's running to the tomb to weep. 
Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Now, Jesus knew what he was about to do. You see this from this passage. He knew what he was about to do. But guess what? Jesus had emotions, too, just like you. Lazarus was his friend. And that's to let you know that if Jesus, the Son of God, who knew what was in people, was here for a mission for 33 and a half years, had time to make friends, so do you. Oh, I don't like people. You is the people. Get used to it. But notice about Jesus. He did not let his emotions keep him from living by faith. He didn't let emotions separate him from walking into the supernatural and walking in the miraculous. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind? Well, why would they say that? Bartimaeus is right there. He opened his eyes. Could he have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Now, they think Jesus is going to mourn, that he wants to see the body one more time. And notice what Martha, very sensible, says. He's been dead for four days. He stinks. It's very sensible. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone and the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot, with gray clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Now, Pastor Kurt, I need you to help me again. Because a couple weeks ago, I heard Pastor Kurt do an extreme example. He told me letter is one of the more difficult examples I've had him do. And I picked him because he hits the gym all the time. Like, I told him this later that I was getting my hair cut, and my barber said, yeah, I saw Pastor Kurt at the gym, and man, he's getting it, and he's awesome. And so he's carrying these weights for a long period of time, and it's struggle. You could tell by the vein that was popping out on the side of his head. <laughs> it was a lot to have the backpack, backpack and the weights on both sides. And he told me later, he says, you know, why are you giving that example? The Lord spoke to me, and say what the Lord told you to say. He said, lay aside the weight and do it quickly. <laughs> because a lot of believers like to carry their weights and hold on to it as a badge of honor. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what people have done to me. And they hold on to it, and they struggle, and they don't experience the goodness God has for them. And we talked about how Hebrews 12 says there are sin and there are weights. So that means the weight is not necessarily a sin, but a stuff that you need to drop. And we talked about the weight of grief and setting that aside. We talked about the weight of the I don't know and how to set that aside. But, you know, let's just say they actually listened to that message two weeks ago. Let's just agree that everybody who heard that message actually did it. So, you know, they, some of them might not have. But let's just, you know, believe. Let's believe the best, right? Let's believe that the majority of them set aside the weights. You might have put down some weights, but some of you still have some choice clothing on. It's not a lot. Some of y'all clothing looks like a cheap Halloween costume. 
he can still function, but just like Lazarus when he was raised from the dead, he still has some grave clothes on. Lazarus was raised to newness of life. Just like when you were born again, you were raised from newness of life. And Jesus said, Lazarus, loose him and let him go. Jesus came that he might destroy, loosen the works of the devil. But some of you are still wearing some grave clothes. You may have put down some weights, and you may have taken off a lot of your grave clothes, but there's some grave clothes that some of you still have on today that it's time for you to take off. It's not tight. Jesus already loosed it, but you're carrying some things that you need to let go. That he can still function. You might look why well, he's got toilet paper wrapped around his arm, but he can still get done some stuff. Well, but you say, how many agree this looks kind of silly? How many agree? It's not your question. Do you agree? It looks kind of silly. But I'm telling you, some of you wearing this look just as silly. And I'm going to show you too. Go to Hebrews 12 once again. Thank you. You can take it off. This will be a prophetic example about what they're going to take off today. Hebrews chapter 12. Notice what it says. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded, verse 1, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Minister David keyed in on this joy. That was you. Set before him. Endured the cross, despising the shame. This word despise means to think little of. You have to understand the cross wasn't just a mode of death or a death penalty. It was the most humiliating, shameful form of death in the ancient world. It was created by the Greeks and perfected by the Romans. It was considered such a humiliating death, Roman citizens weren't allowed to be crucified. That's how shameful it was. Even the law says, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. So to the Jews, it was a curse, but also to the entire world, it was a shame. And we know the Bible teaches us that whatever Jesus bore, we are to resist, right? Jesus carried our sins, so we resist sin. Jesus carried our sickness and our disease, so we resist sickness and disease. Jesus carried your shame. That means you resist shame. As a believer, you have a lot of rights, but you do not have a right to be ashamed. I'll say it again. As a believer, you have many rights, but you do not have a right to be ashamed. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It's like, Pastor, you don't know what I did. Let me say it again. Believer, you have many rights, but you do not have the right to be ashamed. Romans chapter 8. Notice what it says here. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in his own Son, and the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin, in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There is no shame for you, Christian. Why? Jesus bore your shame, and you don't have the right to be ashamed. The Scripture also tells us that the sorrow of the world works death. But godly sorrow leads to repentance. Godly sorrow is not shame. Conviction will lead you to repentance. Shame will kill you. Jesus bore your shame. Say, Jesus bore my shame. 
Say it out loud and put it on the chat. Say, Jesus bore my shame. And the thing is, what shame does, it doesn't help you to live right. Even if you are ashamed and you make a better decision, I don't want to be shamed again, it doesn't free you. It's like throwing a bucket of ice on a raging fire. It may take the fire down for one moment, but eventually that fire comes back. And too often the world and religion tries to keep you in shame, to keep you in guilt. Remember, it says Jesus died for our sins, but he was raised for our justification. The word justification means you to be declared not guilty. If you are not guilty, what are you ashamed of? If you were declared not guilty, that means there is no offense for you to have shame associated with. So do you believe what Jesus did or do you believe what you did? Is your faith in the completed work of Jesus or is your faith in the messed up things you have done? The scripture says you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It does not say that you're an old sinner saved by grace. Religion says that. Old sinner saved by grace is an oxymoron. You got to pick one. Either you're an old sinner or you're saved by grace. Because if you hold on to shame, it will separate you from the people of God and it will cause you to go back to your old ways. You hold on to shame long enough, the enemy will torment you and convince you to kill yourself because you are ashamed. Shame, although it may not be a sin, it is the grave clothes of death. And too many of you are walking around ashamed. He's like, Pastor, you don't know what I did before I got saved. You don't know what I did once I got saved. You don't, you don't know my story. You, you, you don't know. I, you don't know. I, I was addicted. You don't know why I did while I was addicted. You, you don't know, Pastor, you don't know I had an abortion. You don't know what happened to me. You don't know all the bad things I did. You don't know what happened when I was drunk. You don't know what happened when I was high. You don't know what I did when I lost my temper. You don't know what I did. Pastor, you don't know that I've been to jail. You don't know that I've been through all these things. If you could see my record, you would understand why I have the right to be ashamed. Believer, you do not have the right to be ashamed. Either we believe that Jesus paid the price for your sins or we don't believe. Either we believe it is under the blood and washed away, or we don't believe that. You don't have a right to be ashamed. I don't care what you did. Jesus bore your shame. Jesus looked at your shame and thought little of it and carried it for you. And notice what he said, for your shame you will have. Those who believe in the Lord shall not be ashamed. The hope that he's given us will not make us ashamed. It's time for you to take the grave clothes of shame off. Shame belongs to the dead. Shame belongs to the dead man. You are alive. Raised to life with the resurrection power of Christ. You've been given mercy. Just like Bartimaeus cried out for mercy. When you made that decision for Jesus, you received mercy. Ephesians 2 says God is rich in mercy. He's abundant, overflowing in mercy. And when you made the decision for Jesus, you received mercy. Your past doesn't matter anymore. I don't care if it was your past last night. That does not matter anymore. If you have confessed your sin, if you made Jesus the Lord of your life, whatever was in your past that was a limitation, that was a negative label, that kept you in the things of death, kept you in the things of darkness, does not matter anymore. You are not your past. Your past is not stronger than the blood. Your past is not stronger than the anointing. Your past is not stronger than the word of God. You look at the word, you see many people who had some jacked up past walk into a glorious future. What makes you different? 
what sin do you have so much confidence in that you think is greater than the blood? Why are you going around calling yourself unworthy? Well, pastor, I'm unworthy. No, 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 no. Once the blood was applied, it made you worthy. For you to keep saying, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy, it's a slap in the face to the blood of Jesus. The blood has made you worthy. Worthy to what? Worthy to receive all the goodness God has for you. Because it's not based on your past. It's not based on what happened. It's based on your faith in Jesus. Jesus did the hard part. You just have to believe and follow. Say no more shame. Come on, one more time. Say no more shame. Shame will limit you. Shame will keep you down. Shame will rob you of the future God has for you. Jesus paid the price. You do not have the right to be ashamed. It's what Jesus came to do. To destroy, to loosen the works of the devil. So a lot of you, you need to take that shame grave clothes off. And you have to make a decision not to put it back on. You say, Pastor, I'm in a circumstance right now that was caused by my sin. You might be. But that doesn't mean you identify by that sin. You have faith for mercy. Come on, we serve a Jesus that you could have screwed up your body because of alcohol. He'll set you free from alcoholism and give you a new liver. He's Jesus. You could have messed up your lungs because you smoked everything under the sun, but he's a God who can set you free from that addiction and give you a new set of lungs. He's Jesus. You could have taken all the meth in the world and you need have a high dentist bill. He can give you some brand new teeth and set you free. He's Jesus. I don't care what pit you've gotten yourself in because you messed up, because you did stupid stuff, because of your sin, because of your iniquity. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to set the captives free. Jesus came to make it right. Jesus came to make it whole. And it's available to you today if you dare put your faith in the risen Messiah. This is what's available for you. There's no condemnation for you. Jesus bore the price of your sin. You don't have to pay for your sins. Jesus paid for it. Why are you still trying to pay for it? He paid for it. Why well, I say, well, I just have to go through this because I messed up. He paid for it. You don't have to keep going through things because you messed up. He can get you out of those things. This message is replayed in a jail somewhere. He said, well, I'm sentenced this long. Yes, that's what the sentence says. But while you're there, put your faith in Jesus. And suddenly things turn. They said, you'll never get out, and the next day you out. But before you ever get out physically, get out spiritually. Don't let what's going on in the prison get in on the inside. You be a free man inside that jail. You be a free woman inside that jail. And before you know it, you'll be free. I prophesy by the Spirit of God. You will be free. Shame robs people. And there's something else I'm supposed to declare. You know, I sense this in my heart when I was meditating on this message this week, and I've talked to a number of people about this over the years, that there are people who are supposed to be here. This is supposed to be their home. This is supposed to be their church home. And they left a number of years ago. And they, people, and it's not just me thinking about this or hearing about this. I've talked to a number of people and they expressed the same thing to me. They said, we can't come back because we're ashamed of how we left. We did things wrong. We did things foolish and we just showed our tail and we are ashamed of what happened. And I've heard that from so many people in this church. I've talked to people who said, we just can't give them come back. I'm not talking about people who moved on, went to other churches, good, or moved to other states, great. But I'm talking about there are people who are trapped in shame, and they're not even coming to church anymore, any church. They're letting their shame rob them of the life Jesus had for them because of the decision they made years ago. And I told people, who said, well, pray about it. But I'm on the direction of the Spirit of God to say, you spirits of shame, in the authority of Jesus, whose I am and who I serve. From the authority of my office, you loose them and you let them go. I command you to take 
your hands off now. Now, all of you who are listening to me that you haven't come back to this building because of your shame, I expect to see you next Sunday on Easter. It's time out from being robbed because of shame. It's time out for struggling because of shame. It's time out of being in the past because of shame. It's time to walk into the freedom wherewith Christ has made us free. Say no more shame. So now that Lazarus is raised from the dead, word goes everywhere. Everywhere. People are coming to see Jesus because they also want to see Lazarus. And this is what finally puts the chief priest in Jerusalem over the edge. Saying, we got to kill him because if we let him alone, everybody will believe in him. And so this miracle, John 12 says, sparks the celebration that we call Palm Sunday. All the people who heard about the miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead fill the streets of Jerusalem and take their coats and take palm branches and begin to cry out, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They began to cry it to their cries to fill Jerusalem. And it was so interesting, it wasn't just a cry they made up. Yes, we know it's a prophetic fulfillment from Zechariah, but they're also quoting Psalm 118. And Psalm 118 starts like this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say, his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say, his mercy endures forever. So Hosanna is a psalm of mercy. And then you get later into verse 22. It says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. That phrase, save now, is where we get Hosanna. Hosanna, Hosanna, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God. I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Jesus, coming from Jericho after restoring sight to Bartimaeus and raising Lazarus from the dead, goes into Jerusalem, and they begin to sing and chant this song. A song of mercy. A psalm of praise. We've been singing this psalm throughout the experience. But now you know a little bit more about what it means. We've been singing about mercy today. Now you know a little bit more about what it means and what's available to you. Because just a couple days later, you see in John 12 that they throw a feast for Jesus. They throw a dinner for Jesus. And he's at Simon the leper's house. And Jesus is in a place of honor, but so is Lazarus. And his people were coming by just to look at the man who was raised from the dead. And so while they're doing that, while the apostles are gathered around eating, and all the disciples are there, they're enjoying the meal. Here comes Mary, the sister of Lazarus, with an alabaster box of valuable perfume. Some say it was worth about a year's worth of wages or more. Imagine if you were Mary. Your brother was just raised from the dead. Mary, who sat at the feet of Jesus. Mary, who was honored to be called the friend of Jesus. Mary comes in, and she begins to worship. And she takes what was valuable to her, and she pours it on the feet of Jesus and begins to wash his feet. 
and in her worship, Judas Iscariot cries out, what is this waste? How dare anyone call what is done for Jesus a waste? How dare anyone call anything you do for Jesus a waste? And he says something that people like to report or say on different platforms. This could have been sold and given to the poor. And John the Apostle adds his commentary. It says he didn't care about the poor. He was a thief. And he used to steal from the money back. So he wanted it sold so he can steal some more. John returns to the story. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Because forever, this story will be told as a memorial for her. What she has done has prepared me for my burial. But notice the heart of Mary. Mary, who received a miracle. Mary, who received mercy. People were talking about, well, why are you even letting someone touch you? Don't you know who she is? And Jesus full well knew who she was and received her worship. Some of you have a hard time lifting your hands in worship because you remember your shame. Jesus will still receive your worship, heal you, and set you free. She poured out her worship on him. And we know this story 2,000 years later because of her act of faith. This is what happened before Palm Sunday and right after. As we commemorate this time with Holy Week, I need you to remember the mercy of God, the covenant love of God, the compassion of God, and how his mercy steps in and you don't get what you deserve. So stop going around talking about what you deserve. Stop expecting bad things because you have done bad things. Expect goodness because God is good. And remember what the scripture says, the goodness of God leads people to repentance. And so if today we're hearing this message on the good news of God, you might say, well, what's another for good news? The gospel. So as you heard the gospel today, you may already believe or you may not be. I'm not telling you to stay living the way you're living. I am calling you to holiness. I am calling you to right living. But as I'm calling you to that, I'm telling you to leave your past behind. Leave your shame behind. Leave your guilt behind. Because you can't live holy while you live shame-filled and guilty. It will just leave you to condemnation. You may put a good religious show on, but on the inside you'll be tormented. Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And that is the extreme goodness of God. Stand to your feet. No more shame. Come on, say, no more shame. No more shame. There are a number of you in here today who need to call out for mercy. Maybe because of the situation that you're in that you created. Or maybe it's a situation that a loved one's in. You didn't create that, and they're right now far from God. But you believe if you release your faith today, mercy will step in on their situation. So whether you need to call out for mercy for yourself today, or mercy for that loved one or that friend, release your faith right now for the mercy of God. We'll only take a couple minutes, I believe. And so if you need to call, come to the altar and worship, or stay where you are and worship. I want you to release your faith for the mercy of God right now. I believe he can change your situation. I believe he can heal your heart. I believe he can restore your soul. I believe he can set you free. I believe you're not too far gone. And there's someone here, either live or online, watching repeat, I'm not sure exactly where, but I believe you're watching live. 
And he said, I can't. I've committed the unpardonable sin. Here's how I know it's not true. You're convicted in your heart. If you had committed the unpardonable sin, you would feel no conviction. You wouldn't be bothered by what's going on in your life right now. So don't let that lie that Satan uses religiously to keep you in your sin. Ask for mercy right now. Call for mercy right now. When I was meditating on this topic this morning, driving in, I remember years ago, it might have been like 22, 23 years ago, there was a service where Evangelist Kay Strandler was preaching. It was a night service, and she was preaching on the mercy of God. And people came forward to receive mercy, and the power of God hit that place as people just release faith for the mercy of God. I remember how strong that anointing was on her that day. That I remember when she walked by me, that power that's on her jumped on me, and I began to shake and weep under the power of God. He has mercy for you today. Don't let this moment go by, because Bartimaeus could have let Jesus pass by, but he cried out for mercy. Don't let this moment pass you by. Cry out for mercy. And so if in your heart you see yourself coming to the altar to ask for mercy, then you do that. If you're a person who says, well, I think you can do it from my seat, well, you do that. You focus on the Messiah right now. Call for mercy. Call for mercy. Minister Dathan, I want you to sing that song, at least part of it. We'll give people an opportunity. And if you're a person that needs to ask for forgiveness for your sins, then do that. If you're a person that needs to make Jesus the Lord of your life, it's really simple. Just ask him to save you right now. Say what you've been doing is wrong. Ask him to come in your life, and Jesus will do exactly that. But there's many of you, you need to shake off your shame. And if you're in a, pers a person who's in a pit because of your actions, ask for mercy right now and the mercy of God will step in. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe it encouraged you and it's going to help you make Jesus famous in your everyday life. We would love to be, stay connected with you. So subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel, download our Faith Plus app, and visit us at FCCGA.com to learn more about our ministry. If you would like to support our ministry financially, you can also do so by our website at FCCGA.com or by texting FCCGA to 73256. If you would like to submit a prayer request, you can do so at our website as well. We would love to agree with you in faith, and we know you'll receive an answer according to the Word of God. Once again, thank you for streaming this message, and remember, God has a great plan for your life, and something good is going to happen to you today, so expect miracles. God bless.